0: Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Coming up in this episode, Bill Gardner, Vice President of Programming and Development at PBS, discusses the US public broadcaster's programming strategy, tackling the coronavirus crisis, the Black Lives Matter's movement, and the forthcoming US election. But first, Jennifer Daly, president of U.S. unscripted specialist Critical Content, spoke with Nico Franks about how the pandemic has given rise to innovation in A-list alleged shot-from-home shows like Kevin Hart's Celebrity Game Face and the struggles facing smaller independent U.S. producers. Daly, who previously founded Storage Hunters maker T Group Productions before Critical bought the business 18 months ago, sits on the executive board of US Nonfiction Producers Association NPACT and was among the speakers at the annual Series Fest event, which held its first virtual edition earlier this month.
1: We're now now at the stage of the pandemic where obviously events are happening, but they're happening virtually. And um, this month, we've seen Series Fest host a virtual edition. And Jenny, you were speaking on a panel that was all about the response to COVID-19 in the TV industry. And so I thought it'd be great to start by asking you just how, from your perspective, working in the unscripted industry in particular, how you found the unscripted industry reacting to the pandemic?
2: Well, I have to say being in unscripted television, because we've been able to really shift uh, aggressively and quickly into creating content in a virtual way. um, We've been really fortunate to um, still remain um, in production and we've been selling an extensive amount of programming. Um, To uh, a multitude of networks, but all virtually being produced, and I I call it COVID-capable production. So we've been almost sending out suitcases, if you will, of uh, cameras, and a majority of our our content that we're selling is really celebrity-based. You know what celebrities are doing at home, from games that they're playing at home to um, uh, chats of, of you know what people are talking about. Celebrities are talking about we did a haircut night in america for cbs and teaching people how to cut their hair we did a grooming night um, for uh, animal planet which will be premiering as well Um, we're doing a a game show with kevin hart where he is uh, with a bunch of celebrities playing at home which will be premiering on e which will be announced um another tbs series where it's celebrities playing at their home so it's all home based and we send these camera packages out. And through um, Zoom, similar obviously as we're talking, our technicians speak to the, you know, I'd say celebrities or who's ever on the other end and help them set up their cameras. And then we're streaming all of that footage and capturing it. And we've maintained a very small footprint for post where we've, you know, have a multitude of editors who are all working out of their own homes. But then we do have a, um, an online bay has set up and a sweet you know, a sweetening base up in the offices where it siphons down to that and we're still able to deliver programming in a timely, you know, kind of method and, and efficiency. So non scripted I think has prevailed. Because we don't have a large footprint, we have the capability of shifting. Where, unless you are a massive studio-based program, the capability of reimagining how you can deliver your content has really been um, proven successful and continuing to thrive. Now, have we had to shift? in how our, our teams work. I mean, we're, we're using a lot more technicians than we ever have. Um, you know, everybody's working virtually. We don't have a hub where production all comes together, which is, it's a little different. You know, it's a little more, um, you know, reliance upon obviously face-to-face Zoom, which has proven itself. It's been a whole shift in how we, you know, are able to gather teams, deliver, con- you know, as far as uh, cameras and even props and then shooting. So, I guess the answer would be to say non-scripted has prevailed and will continue to prevail. Scripted, I think is going is having the most difficulty because you can't you can't reimagine that to the gr- degree that, that we can.
1: And have you found that you've been able to get access to a higher tier of celebrity while lockdown has been on and in the aftermath?
2: I think absolutely. I think celebrities at this time in the highest tiers, um, you know, generally they would be busy working on feature films, they would be on their scripted series, Um, they would be, you know, obviously in a much more unavailable state. And I think the general feeling is connectivity and wanting to feel, um, you know, kind of relatable in these times. So I think they've been very willing to participate. So for instance, Kevin Hart, who generally is on a script, is on a series, is on a feature film, has been willing to be the host for this show. He's amazing, he's so fun and vibrant, but we've been fortunate that he's here, you know, and he was in the middle of of, about to shoot a, a feature. So the fact that he can be here, the fact that he's like, look, at this time, I want to have fun. I want to be engaged. It's out of, you know, saying I want to connect to others. We're playing games at home. My family and I, we're dancing. We're doing TikTok. It's almost like being reflective of what they're already doing. So why not embrace it? You know, it's been a very embracing time, I think, for celebrities to be, especially A-list celebrities, if you will, and the celebrities of all degree to say, let's, you know, let's embrace the moment where we're at. We're all at home. Why not do stuff that can be engaging and fun?
1: And that's a Celebrity Game Face, the one yes. that you're working with Kevin Hart Yeah, it's an interesting time with regards to celebrities because there was also that, video that went viral towards the beginning of lockdown, kind of viral for the wrong reasons, when uh, a lot of celebrities were singing Imagine. But yeah, it didn't get a great response because it felt like almost patronizing to the public, I think. Is that something, you know, you took on board in terms of how you should be kind of positioning celebrities in this moment, I guess, you know, of a national crisis?
2: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think there's two ways to look at this. There's one to really obviously address directly what's happening in a real way Um, when you're, um, you know, in a state of crisis in a pandemic where hundreds of thousands of people are dying, suffering, you, you have to be very true to that. And I think that's one type of, I think, direct programming and addressing. I think there's another where it's, this is going on, but truly, I think to allow a state of at least escapism in some way, escape to uh, allow yourself to at least, have a moment of reprieve and and laughter, because that's that's truly, I think, the core of human um, nature is to find joy and happiness in some way in the state of utter chaos and pain. I think it's it's kind of a, a, a dual type of responsibility when it comes to the media. I think you want to, on one hand, be able to create entertaining programming that allows people to laugh and have some moments of, of, of joy without... To your point, patronizing or being a dismissive of what is happening. So I think when you go a, a, about it, I think you have to be really conscious of the process and what the what the purpose of your content is. Like this is a game show; it's meant to be silly and have some fun. It's not addressing clearly the severity of what's happening. And in that degree, there's there's obviously programming and there's content that should absolutely be about awareness and what is happening. So I, I think it's it's kind of the the responsibility of the curator, if you will, to be clear about your intent.
1: And um, are there any trends in the unscripted business that were, were happening, you know, prior to the pandemic that are now accelerating as a result of the pandemic? Potentially, you know, the involvement of streamers, which we've been seeing over the past few years now, or maybe production hubs in certain countries that have haven't been as negatively impacted by the pandemic as others?
2: Trends that were happening prior to the pandemic um, that have accelerated. I think I think the question in, in a lot of obviously these networks' minds are how do we minimize costs? You know, that was an ongoing kind of question in our process. And I think with the pandemic, we found solutions of trying to um, reimagine how production works. Now it's applicable to what we're doing. Because the consolidated time of getting it to air, um, the bodies that you're using less bodies in the field clearly, and maybe even outsourcing editing to you know you always everybody always thought you had to do it under one house. That's the only way to be successful. And I think now that you we can outsource and we can uh, allow the the a multitude of different entities to service you know the the creation of a of a of a show. There's ways to. Minimize cost—that—that that, um, I don't think we ever imagined we could do before. So I think that was a trend of the network. Now is that the upside for production companies? Not necessarily. I mean, we're you know scraping by and trying to be as successful as we can as well. So I think it's, it's, it, you know, it's a balance, if you will. Another trend I think in, in production was content that, that uh, with the streamers, I don't think there, it was a degree of, of a different way of um, producing. I think it was always a way of how do you reimagining something to be unique and different and um, breaking away from what's been traditional way of producing or, or delivering a vision, a vision of content. And we certainly have reimagined that as this has been happening. I think uh, you know traditionally you would see you know a show where it was a talk show they'd all be sitting on a couch and they'd all be having their you know kind of conversations but now you're going to each individual person's home and you're streaming their content and then how do you deliver that visually so it's not just talking heads what do you do aesthetically to with graphics to make it feel engaging it's just it's how the content is received I think at the end. From what your limitations are, it definitely services a new way of watching, which I think we are all—you know—I wouldn't have imagined I could deliver um, a broadcast show all via shooting um, streaming with Zoom. I, you just would never. But how that's been reimagined and and it and it's fun and it works. I would say that's what that's kind of the differentia of saying visualizing what you're seeing in a different way.
1: Yeah, so I guess a, a, an openness to innovation could be one of the lasting impacts of this?
2: I think so. I think so. Innovation and reimagining how we deliver content.
1: And how far forward are you looking in terms of development Uh, with regards to, you know, are you shifting development, you know, away from, I guess, dating shows where people being in close proximity to one another is going to be an issue in the short term or potentially midterm. And I guess, yeah, you know, focusing more on shows that, yeah, are just going to be a bit more practical.
2: You know, it's funny because the answer is no, we haven't ceased creating content that is, say, in the relationship arena or in the home renovation or in the, um, you know, I'd say big game or formats. I think all the networks, I think I could tell you all the networks are still buying programming with this kind of, um, you know, structure. Um, I think in the uh, degree of assuming we will get to a place where we can put this into production. Everything that's gone into production thus far has been all COVID capable. Most all of it via shooting virtual and then um, editing and delivering the way we have shows that we're field driven are just now starting to go back into production. So we have a number of series that are starting to go back up and running and July is kind of the magic, I will say, month for that. Um, everybody's, you know, as a lot of uh, states are reopening. I think and and some places being more, um, you know, as far as more of a safe uh, environment to shoot in, we are definitely going back to shooting our, you know, traditional content, if you will. But there's a ton of protocol that goes into that. There's a a lot of being premeditative about safety, um, how we're shooting, the you know wearing masks, being um, very conscientious of safety, you know temperature checks, um, you know limiting limiting the amount of people in 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 the um, in the room. So, are we going back to shooting shows that are say relationship driven? Yes but how we would go into actually shooting them is a whole different world. You know, you wouldn't bring contestants on that in any way weren't, you know, taking a temperature check or getting tested, for that matter, before they're engaging, and I'd probably say there'd be isolation before they went on a show. It's just how, you know, it's almost like the airlines. When 9-11 happened, you definitely had to reimagine how we all entered an airport. You know, it became a new way of operating, and that's really what we're shifting to is a new way of operating. Um, Until we obviously have some kind of, uh, you know, antibody, we're not going to be able to fully, you know, just um, go back to the way it was.
1: And who's shouldering the costs of that? Because I I guess it must add a bit more to the budget. I know in scripted, they were saying potentially 20% more. I guess maybe in unscripted, it might be a bit less than that. But yeah, who is shouldering those extra costs?
2: I mean, I got to tell you, in some frustration with that on a lot of our end, because insurance companies are not now because they're saying, you know, that this is out there. Um, insurance companies are looking at this as, um, you know, it's not something that uh, is unexpected, so we cover it. You know it, so we won't cover things like that. A lot of the burden is going on the production companies. Now, Various, di- varying from the different networks, um, how they are engaging in the budget and what the what we need to ensure success we're building some of that into the budget but it's truly it's a negotiation back and forth it's not an easy i think embrace and you know the network's embracing saying of course we're your partner we're actively um you know as far as put the price point in your budget for this it's it's truly varying from network to network to network some being much more gracious about it and understanding and realistic to our process, some being far less, which is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a frustrating situation.
1: Yeah. I suppose that's really going to bite for those independent producers in, in the States. So I know, so you're part of a wider group, which I guess might must help in terms of shouldering costs, but yeah, there's a lot of unscripted producers in the, in the States who have previously been working on a very, I guess, thin margins that could really, have trouble, I guess.
2: Absolutely. This is really, really hurting the smaller production companies. Absolutely. Um, you know, as somebody who previously, I own my own company, T Group Productions, and then I, um, you know, obviously combine forces with Critical, which we are, you know, fortunate to have a uh, an investor that, you know, who obviously kind of supports a bigger picture, and we have a much more larger footprint in securing our future. I'm a, on the executive committee of Impact here in, in the U.S., and it really is something that we're all kind of banding together to try support the smaller production entities that don't have that support structure that don't have um, the, the infrastructure or the financial capability to infuse more you know more into their company without, say, either getting loans or, um, you know, or trying to minimize completely staff. It's it's definitely um, a state of um, difficulty. And you'll see a lot of companies that will have to close because of this, smaller entities.
1: It's going to be tough for sure. So just finally, let's wrap on a more kind of, I guess, positive note. What do you hope will be one of the positive lasting impacts of this pandemic on the TV industry?
2: I think I think it's definitely brought unification if you will across the board in an industry where technically we are all, you know, competing against one another to get the next show and, and um, you know, ensure the success of the individual companies, I think everybody is banding together to try and, you know, support one another. Um, I think networks are much more, you know, to the degree of hearing us as a, as a partner working through here, you know, in, in the expression of we're all struggling, everybody gets that at this juncture. And so those asks and those um, I think conversations are much more upfront versus feeling you're alone in this and you're not being heard. So I, I do think the relationship, when it comes to across the board internally with companies, externally with other companies, and the combined, I'd say, um, degree of conversation and and you know uh, awareness with production and and you know buyers, that there definitely is a unification of we're all in this together. How do we figure it out? I get it, you're suffering, meaning the networks. I get it, you're suffering production but how do we best come to uh, you know an agreement that we all can be successful so I do see that happening absolutely in this process.
0: Jennifer Daly from Critical Content. U.S. public broadcaster PBS is facing challenges battles and opportunities on a number of fronts programming through and around the coronavirus pandemic the Black Lives Matters movement and the forthcoming U.S. election all at a time of political pressure on pubcasters and tightening budgets. Bill Gardner, Vice President of Programming and Development, is one of the PBS commissioners charged with navigating all of this. And he spoke with Clive Whittingham about his programming strategy for the rest of the year and moving into 2021.
3: I'm Bill Gardner. I'm the Vice President of Programming and Development at PBS, the public broadcaster for the United States. Um, We are a variety service, uh, reaches about 99% of the population, and we, um, we try to be in as many genres as we possibly can. We have a very robust Kids offering uh, that doesn't go through me. There's a separate team that does that. I look after our primetime um, schedule in particular genres. But we are news and public affairs. We do uh, entertainment and drama. Uh, we're very, very present in uh, natural history and in science and history, especially American history, but um, global history as well. And we are um, really focused on things that come from our member stations and also co productions with uh, partners all over the world. So we are as open for business as one could be.
4: What was the plan for 2020 at the start of 2020? It's obviously an election year in the US, as I guess that probably dominated the strategy, but as you look forward to the year in January, what was the plan?
3: Yeah, um, you know, this year is about, the big focus is on the elections in the fall. I mean, we have, um, with our new general manager, new Simon, we have um, tried to be more intentional about our scheduling and so that we, we look at kind of every quarter, we'll have like a big focus uh, that's really facing towards our entire system, which is over 360 stations locally throughout the country that have a very deep connection to the community. So we try to think about things that have national appeal, but also can be used in that local level. So for example, right now in the summer, we're doing a collection of content that marks the 100th anniversary of the women's right to vote um, here in the state. So we're doing a summer of um, content that focuses on trailblazing women that are real leaders in their fields. And again, because we're across genres, we look in, in all of these spaces that we can do that, whether it's you know, histories or you know, women in science or you know, young, rising um, female directors that we try to focus. So we really try to be thematic that way. But as we get towards the fall, a major focus for us, again, will be the elections. We have some nice Wednesday night lineups about um, issues related to just the world as it is in terms of conservation and new sciences and so forth. But I think our major focus, certainly for internal um, consumption, will be things related to the election.
4: And how did the pandemic, when the pandemic sort of took hold in the US and the production lockdown and, and all of that, how has, uh, how has that changed things and affected your strategy?
3: Well, you know, I think like everybody else immediately, it's like, well, how long is this going to last? What is this going to do to deliveries? I mean, it became a very nuts and bolts situation. Will well shows that we have planned actually be able to deliver? And what is this going to do to the production community that we rely on? How can we be supportive of that? So we've had to do some scrambling. And try to make adjustments to see when things were gonna come in or not. Strategically speaking, and we wanna mark the issues that are happening to the country. So we did some some quick turns and also some medium long-term things within some of our science strands and our investigative journalism strands in terms of how we're addressing this from a social level. Um, so it's you know, it's an event that's happening our way of working changed just like everybody else has changed. I mean, we are fortunate in that we, because the elections were coming, our content for 2020 was in pretty good shape. Um, we were able to really look going forward. I think our big impact is what's coming up for delivery for 21 and, and forward, um, especially some things like the big natural history space. It takes a while to make these projects. so what is the impact on those projects. So it's been a lot of um, athletic thinking in terms of how we can adjust the schedule. Um the message that we would send to producers is that we are still open for business. We're gonna be doing the same things we've done. You know, this will end, uh, and the degree that we can be supportive in terms of, you know, being um, understanding of delivery pushes and we have to make adjustments that way and need to be more patient about when things are coming we want to do that uh, but this will get through in the meantime here in the states you know we've had this huge social events that are going on on top of covid with police brutality and the response to it and just really light and fast social changes so we've been covering that sort of thing too in a way that is going to be as much of an impact as covid uh, because it's clearly a moment that we're all seeing i think globally
4: it's a year like no other in the in, the, in the US, really, 2020. Um, did you lose productions? Did things have to go on hold, delays and things like that? And what effect will that have on your schedules down the line? Are you anticipating gaps that will need to be filled by acquisitions or, or how will it shake down, do you think?
3: that has happened there has been some things that we maybe planned for a particular season that aren't going to be ready uh, there are a couple uh, projects that we have that really rely on the ability to film outdoors and you know with a lot of a large collection of people and you know editorially things have had to change i think that's probably the largest impact is uh, or how we're dealing with things is looking at how we can editorially solve some problems from a scheduling perspective, you know, it's, it's planning. We're, we're planning so far out ahead all the time that we just have to make adjustments. And it's been a lot of pressure on our programming teams to, to figure that out. And we have looked at acquisitions, things that are out there in the market, finished in the near term to, to kind of fill some holes. Uh, but really, it's about the long-term planning and, and maybe having to push some initiatives that we had. Again, I mentioned that we do these quarterly initiatives. Some of the content of that may change. We have to replace some, some things that we were thinking about uh, with projects that were further along or already finished. Or, you know, I th- we're going to be doing more co-productions you know, because I think the impact of this also is going to be felt financially. Not now, not even now, but going forward. Obviously, there, there are uh, networks and channels who are affected differently depending on where their revenues come from. Uh, but everybody is having to adjust in their own way. And it's just really being aware that we have to do that and responding. So again, I would say that for the distributors, yeah, we've been looking at them to see if we can you know, fill some holes from acquisitions, uh, but also the producers just keep on keeping on. You know, it will get back to normal uh, and it may things be, be pushed a bit, but we're, we're certainly, we are not backing out of any commitments. we made, And we'll just find another way to do that, to do those projects in a different way.
4: Are you in the market for COVID pandemic content, you know, how we got here and things like that? Or is the theory that the the audience may be a little bit fatigued of, of hearing about it and be looking for escapism and, and other stuff? Where does it figure in your programming strategy? Um,
3: now, not enormously. You know, I think, you know, some of the projects that we do, especially in science and natural history space, you know, COVID is an impact on it and the world is different now. So it will have an impact on, the again, editorially, some of the projects going forward. But in terms of bespoke COVID projects, we cover that through our news, um, and then there are some strands that are doing it. They are on top of that, but we're not actively seeking it out right now because we think it's, it's, it's well covered. Um, certainly, there was that response. But there are going to be some interesting docs that come out of um, this about you know, reflecting on what it means and, and so on and so forth. But I think it's more of that big picture type of storytelling as opposed to like a direct response um, that's going on. But that's well handled by the news. And, you know, NOVA is, is following its hunt for a vaccine, for example. They're, that's underway. Our strength frontline is doing a, a, a major multi-hour project about how, you know, the governmental response has been and, and other elements of that. That's underway. So, uh, you know, certainly it is something that we're covering, but not actively seeking things out at this time.
4: And you mentioned the, the Black Lives Matters movement that has uh, exploded in the US over the, the past uh, month or so. How is PBS going to tackle that and cover that? What sort of programming are you in the market for in, in that area? Because that, that seems right in your, uh, your Venn diagram, as it were.
3: Yeah, you know, they're the public broadcaster, so we really feel we have to serve the public. I mean, for a very long time, we've been very active in telling histories about um, how, you know, we as a country have come together or issues that we've had in the past. You know, uh, we've done a lot in African-American history, in uh, Latino-American history, really trying to, and and others, really trying to explain and give context to present day. And we will continue to do that, and with even more um, leaning into it. Uh, you know, we we are very proud of our track record in this space, and there's more to do there because this is an evolving process. and culture is very very um, quickly changing. There's a generational shift that's going on. And I think everybody sees it. There's a um, different expectations for the roles of you know, institutions within the country. Everybody sees that, and there's a lot of storytelling that can be done and services that we can provide. Again through our local uh, connection and we can be a place that people can have the conversations they need to have, but also show people what the reality is too. And we think that we have that position of being a very trusted broadcaster, that it's not about flash or bringing heat to the conversation, it's about bringing light to it. And we're gonna stay committed to that and really lean forward into it. We wanna lead because that's what we've always done and what we intend to continue to do by giving voice to people who generally don't have it. We're not taking sides or making these ideological, we're making it historical and relevant that's the big thing is who are the voices that need to be speaking about this and we want to give them a the platform to do that
4: i'm a producer coming to pitch you what topics and styles of programming should i um should i have front of mind when i'm when i'm coming to see you at the moment what are you guys in the market for
3: i would say you know again like we're going to get through this disruption and we're we're staying true to who we are i mean we need to provide that stability so really interesting high-end science docs that what's the latest of you know in the field how is the world changing we want to continue to do those sorts of things through our anthology strands we know about. we're still doing nature you know nature docs through nature and direct to PBS natural history programming I think history is something we're going to lean into even more um, you know we have kind of the classic American histories uh, already but you know the storytellers are changing we're in a really transitional period we want to widen the tent to get these voices in here so I would say we haven't really changed you know the the landscape and the market might be changing around this but what we're focusing on is going to be the same and it's an interesting time for producers especially uh, international producers um, we are not alone in this a lot of the public service broadcasters all over the world are, are having to work together and that's just the market trends have been happening anyway with consolidations and, and global uh, footprints on some of our competitors, like this niche for public service is it's just as just as uh, necessary as always has been. And I think, uh, you know, from a business perspective, come and reach out to us. That's going to happen. Now, you know, the, the financials going forward, we're still sorting them out. I think but it does kind of speak to that, like resources are going to be more carefully assigned. Uh, but certainly you know, nothing is changing in terms of what we're looking for. I would say perhaps larger footprint projects are interesting. You know, the the one-offs tend to go towards our strands um, in those anthology series. If you have a multi-part project that ultimately, this is going to sound nebulous, but what I like to say to producers, what are you trying to say? You know, we're the public broadcaster of the United States. This is a unique platform that we have. What are you trying to say? Uh, You know, there's a role for escapists and entertaining stuff. And we do do some of that, but we're also the home when you have uh, for the place that you want to make a statement.
4: What's it like being the public broadcaster in the United States at the moment with everything that's going on there? Public broadcasting elsewhere in the world seems to have had a bit of a moment during the pandemic and people have come back to how important it is to have a healthy public service broadcaster. What is the situation? What is it like running PBS in the, in the US in its present, present uh, state?
3: It's exciting. You know, because I, I think we, again, I'll come back to it. We are of by and for the people. We're a public. And I think there is a recognition more and more. I mean, this has been a trend that's been happening with uh, you know, commercialization and, and, and so forth. I mean, there's a place for that. But there's also the rising audiences. The audiences get older. It is a generational shift in what these audiences are looking for. They want a place where they know that what they're getting, it might challenge the way they see the world or, or be a different perspective, but it's authentic and it's, and it's real and it's not manipulative. You know, uh, again, we'll do entertaining stuff, but there's always going to be things in there that are, are accurate and real. We, for years running now, we have gotten after the military, the most trusted institution in the country. And we're really, really proud of that. And we're committed to it. And we're in many ways leaning into it. I mean, this is, it's a really challenging year for multiple reasons in the country. It doesn't matter, you know, what side of whatever divide you want to define you're on. It's challenging. You know, it's, there's a lot at stake, and we really want to lean in and provide as much context and understanding to everything that's going on as we possibly can. You know, we're doing quick responses to the, to the coronavirus situation that isn't so much about sensationalism, but what's really happening? You know, what do we know about the virus? What are the facts? And, you know, I think that we are a place that people know they can go to, and they're going to get the facts. It isn't spin. And that's something we all really embrace and are excited about, being able to provide we all see you know
4: the media in the in the us is under incredible pressure accused of fake news and all of this i mean uh, how do you guys maintain that that level of trust what are you doing anything differently or how do you let's well, yeah. uh, avoid that in this
3: climate if you see what i mean i think that's the thing we're not doing anything differently we're staying true to who we are uh you know i mean the fake news and the spins and the different sides. I mean, the reality of it is, is, most people know that that's happening, and they've just chosen the sides they want to be on. And we are the place that that's that's not happening. You know, if you want to go and be, you know, supported in how you already think, there are places that you can go and do that. If you want to go someplace that is just going to give you. as as much as we can, just the straight dope of it. Like, this is what's happening. These are the players. These are the people who are saying this. And you know, be analyzed to a degree, but in a very transparent way. PBS has always been that place, and people look at it that way. And we will continue to do that to the best of our ability. So I think, you know, it's actually not that challenging. You just tell the truth. You know, be, be open and be honest and don't spin things and, and try to convince people to think a certain way, but provide people tools so they can draw their own conclusions.
4: Would you be more, Do you, are you looking more for domestic projects at the moment, given that international travel for producers and insurance for productions is, is challenged at the moment? Would you be reticent to commission something that's got a lot of filming overseas or, or not?
3: I wouldn't say we're reticent, we just vet it you know, and and be really aware of what, um, you know, what the expectations are going to be. There's a lot of experience on the team of people who have actually done that filming themselves. And we're in constant contact with producers. And we have things underway that are global now. And it's really about planning. And ultimately, we want people to be safe and support the decisions that are being made. I think the production model is going to change. I felt this way for quite a while now. I mean, we don't really need to be Flying crews from whether it's you know, the UK or, or Europe in general or the States to certain parts of the world where there's perfectly capable talent there to film it. And I think just broadly that's going to change, you know, I suppose for carbon issues and for safety around COVID and so on and so forth. But I would say that uh, we're not shying away from it. We're just eyes wide open about what the realities of that, that will be schedule wise and, and content wise.
4: How's best at the moment in this current situation where we have to do Zoom calls rather than meetings and networking and things like that? If I'm a new producer that hasn't worked with you before, what's the best way for me to try and get a foot in the door with my idea at this point? You know, we can't meet at a market like Sunnyside or something. So how do I do that?
3: You know, it's about the ideas. It's about the ideas. And, you know, when, when we see something, when we try to encourage I mean, most of the execs in our team have done production before, and that was an intentional instruction of the team that way. So. You know, if someone has an interesting idea, you can reach out to us with a one or two pager and say, does this intrigue you? And if it does, we'll reach out to you. I mean, a a good idea can come from anywhere. I think relationships are really important, but, you know, in this situation, we are aware of the difficulties of it. You know, I think the world in which, you know, you go to lunch in Sunnyside and an idea comes out of it because of the relationships and the amount of time you can spend talking, that's more difficult. It just is because you're not doing that. Uh, but in terms of producers with ideas that they're excited about and want to get in the door, just get it to us. And if it rises to something that we're really, really interested in now, the, the, the limits are, are there, you know, the money is, is, um, tighter because of the situation that we're going on, that's going on, uh, you know, how schedules are evolving. That's a real thing. Um. But that doesn't mean that a good idea isn't gonna get picked. You know, we're still having to fill schedules. We're still making television. It's just adjusting to a new reality.
4: Will that tighter budget, will that result in fewer originals or you know, money committed to just selecting bigger projects or more acquisitions to fill your schedule? Do you know do you know how you're gonna cope with that yet?
3: It's gonna be all of the above, you know. Um, and when we say money is tighter, it just means you may be able to do a few fewer things. Uh, I think um, you know, that's where Cost matters. You know, it's, so I think, where co are coming in and potential acquisitions. You know, we, all of us at Networks, we have schedules we need to fill. Um, you know, the, the philosophy of filling them may change. We may rely more on repeats. I mean, it depends what your options are. I wish that there were a really clear and straightforward answer about this, um, but it honestly is all of the above because I think a lot of people are in that situation. You know, that's what, that's what we do. Centrally, there are ups and downs and peaks and valleys, and also things happen, you know. I mean, look at what's happened in 2020. I think everybody's plans got adjusted in a certain way. Uh, and, you know, again, maybe things get pushed back or delayed. But I think if I was the, if I was a producer, of course, people are concerned about hearing from networks that it's more difficult and there may be fewer commissions. It's, it's, it's scary. But the landscape isn't different. And if you have a great idea and you have good access to something, it you'll get it made. You, you will get it, mate. I think the really good projects are still absolutely viable.
0: Bill Gardner from PBS. That's all for this episode. Remember, if you'd like to share your story of coping with COVID-19 with the international TV industry, email us using the address press at c21media.net. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening.